Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. So for a while, like in the early 90s, I was the coolest motherfucker ever because I was like, I know him as Jaleel. Oh, like, shit. that's Urkel. And I'm like, and his favorite ice cream is cookies and cream. Now fuck with me. <laughs> and when I ask him how he's doing, he's like, yeah, I'm doing good. Yeah. <laughs> or he'll be like, not great, really. Because he's honest. <laughs> <laughs> we just have that kind of relationship. It's real open and honest. Yeah. Keep laughing at Urkel or whatever. You call him, <laughs> oh, you call him Stefan? <laughs> cool, cool, cool. There it is. Yep. There it is. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another phenomenal episode of My Mama Told Me, the podcast where we dive deep, deep into the pockets of black conspiracy theories. And we finally work to prove that Waldo, Geraldo Faldo, is the greatest character actor of all time. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's not up for debate. You want to talk about cancel culture? What the fuck happened to Waldo? White people, you devils, you evil motherfuckers that you wouldn't hire this brave black man who was doing goofy nigga shit back in the 90s when goofy niggas weren't even cool yet. This motherfucker had a voice. He had he had real potential and you stole that from him. I watched a video of him today. He's old and gray and disappointing to look at and he didn't have to be that way. He could have been our silly ass Denzel Washington, but you stole that from us. I'll never fucking forgive you, you evil motherfuckers. Anyway, I'm your host, Langston Kerman, coming in, coming in pretty regular this time. 
That honestly is usually how I start most episodes. I come in hot. I'm excited to be here. Our guest today, I don't know how he feels about Waldo or Aldo Faldo. He's smoking weed already, so I got to presume he fucks with Waldo pretty hard. He's, he's hilarious. He runs an amazing podcast that I enjoy very much called The Daily Zeitgeist. And he, he runs an even cooler podcast that, that I've been hearing about. It's called 420 Day Fiance. It's all about 90 Day Fiance, a show that I love dearly. I hold it close to my heart. You're going to love him. Please give it up for Miles Gray, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, I fuck heavy with Waldo Faldo. I'm a huge Family Matters fan. Hell yeah. My grandparents regularly were extras on the show. Really? Yeah. Um, this, this is true. Oh, I got stories for you. So my grandparents were like the, if you saw old black people in the background of films, it was my grandparents. Whoa. Deep, deep impact. When Blair Underwood is like looking on the screen back to earth, my grandparents are in the background. Yo. Uh, Jerry Maguire. When Cuba Gooding Jr. gets hurt in the scene and Regina King's like, oh, my God, she's she's holding on to my grandmother. And then Whoa. my grandfather, after when he gets up, he's like, yeah, get up. But that's 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 us, baby. Dog, that's crazy. Yeah. You come from like you're, you're like a <laughs> prince. You're like background a, royalty, baby. Holy shit. You're the Meghan Markle of fucking background <laughs> actors. This is insane. And I have the exact same birthday as Prince Harry. So, yeah, we got something going right Whoa. But, yeah, they so they used to be on Family Matters a lot. And they had a relationship with Jaleel. And I used to kick it with Jaleel White at my grandparents' house because he just, like, was kind of, you know, that he just was like, oh, these people are cool and kind of became surrogate sort of family members. And he was like a cool dude. Yeah, he was a really nice guy. Yeah, yeah, that's fucking tight. I, I, I take a lot of I, or at least personally, I'm, I always take solace in knowing that certain people ended up just being nice at the end of it. Because I know, at least from the the rumors that I've heard, that the adults on that show actually were super dicks to oh, the wow. kids, and that's part of what uh, the the kerfuffle was in all of it because it originally was bought as a uh and look at us we're getting into conspiracy already <laughs> right it originally was was sold as like a black family show right right and then it didn't do that well as a black family show but then they introduced urkel right and it fucking blew up and all these adult actors who would spend their lives like building careers as legitimate professionals mm -hmm. were getting pissed that this 12 year old was like coming in and going yeah and they were <laughs> you know, losing their, their credits because right. of it. Oh, you hate to see it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I, gonna do? in retrospect, if I'm 45 and some dork pulls up his pants real high and steals my job, I'd be pretty right. pissed too. And you're like, he all he said was, did I do that? Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Yes, he did. He did He that. did do that. <laughs> and he did it every episode for about seven or eight seasons. Yeah. So. All right, we can't we can't dick around anymore. We yeah. as as charming as these these stories are, we have we have a hell of a conspiracy to get into, and it's an exciting one because this conspiracy theory, this whole episode is really our our four twenty episode. We're really <laughs> we're really connecting it, you know, connecting yeah. the dots here and really making it a themed episode. This is our big themed one. But you you came to us with a conspiracy theory that said my mama told me. Drug free is the way to be. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. How much are you sold on that idea? In the beginning, I was sold up until I think probably I saw Half Baked. Whoa. 
I was like, I spoke at my dare graduation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm you know sorry. I mean? <laughs> Let's rewind here because that implies a couple things. Number one, you were a, a hell of a snitch. But number two, <laughs> mm-hmm. dare graduation. You guys, you were attending dare classes. No, like so the dare program culminated with like a certificate ceremony Whoa. and a T-shirt. You know, that's yeah. when you got this shirt. And that's when you got the, like, whatever, I'm learning how to be a cop. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually think their utility belts are yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> I think, honestly, it was more like an expression of me adapting to whatever environment I was in. Because the mm. school I went to, I was one of the few people, you know, kids of color. I'm black and Japanese. There was maybe two other black kids. And two other Asian kids and like a couple, you know, like it was, Mm. but mostly white Lutheran school. So it was very religious, but I learned, I was just very quickly was good at like adapting to be like, okay, so this is what they like or whatever. This is how, this is, you know, this is a skill that many people have to have navigating these spaces of like, okay, where am I? Watch me be, I'll kill this version of however the fuck y'all are acting. (laughs) So when the officer Charles shows up, I'm like, Cause I got, I was all about getting good grades too. So I was always yeah. overachieving and shit. So I was like, Oh, watch me be a fucking, you know, young DEA agent right. in the making. <laughs> watch me 21 jump street. The shit out of this. Exactly. I'm I like, bring my dad's weed. I found I'm like, officer, I found this at my house. <laughs> Maybe you should talk to my dad, <laughs> but nah, <laughs> never did that. But yeah, that's so initially, yes, I, I definitely bought the propaganda. Okay, so you were you were all in on dare, as was I. Let me let me not throw you under the bus completely. I uh, similarly, the dare program showed up at our school and we were asked to make a song like a a dare to for like a big dare conference where each class was meant to perform a song. And me and my my best friend, Michael, wrote a uh, parody of uh, of that Blackstreet song. I can't fucking even think of it. No diggity. Yeah, yeah, yep, there you go. No diggity. We <laughs> Wait, wrote a parody of No Diggity that was basically an anti-drug No Diggity and then performed that in front of literally hundreds of other children. So, yeah, I, I bought in. I was with you. Oh, my, hold on. <laughs> what were the lyrics? Like, I like how you're abstaining. No diggity. <laughs> I feel like it was No Diggity, No Drugs. Was oh, we were We yeah, were in fourth okay. grade, so we yeah. weren't doing great uh lyric sure. work sure. but but yeah it was solid yeah i'd give it a, a c plus even in i mean it's easy at least you went no diggity no doubt to no diggity no drugs yep That's exactly easy. yeah at least it's d yeah I, yeah I and we it. we taught all the white kids in school like the little like uh this joint the little dance and yeah. shit and like <laughs> we had them we had them doing the thing you know what i mean yeah exactly turning up for dare <laughs> turning up for dare we were thotting for dare yeah <laughs> So I get it. At what point? So you you're, you're saying you watch Half Baked. And is it just because Half Baked is so funny that you're like, fuck it. I don't want to I, I don't believe in this anymore. Yeah, it was just like, oh, fuck. Yeah, that's how I'm that's how I'm trying to live. Hell like, yeah. I was like, that's the life. That is the lifestyle. Right. Like being with your friends, smoking, laughing, eating, <laughs> and you're like and going through puberty and shit. So you're like, yeah, bro, like let's eat a fucking huge thing of cheese puffs or whatever. So it, was sure. just, it sort of, I don't know, it was a very easy reflection back to me of what I was already living, except right. without the added benefit of weed. So, so you're yeah. like, I, I could be a giggly 
motherfucker for the rest of my life as yeah. these adult men are doing. So yeah, if weed allows that, I'm all in. Absolutely. And I was talking, and so it's funny, like in the year before I actually smoked weed, I talked like I was smoking weed. You know, like oh. I, was I was like warming my mind up for it. Like yeah. trying to trying to melt away the words of Officer Charles. Sure. Because <laughs> my family didn't really, was never really giving me that like anti-drug shit. Like okay. when I, when I started smoking weed, my dad was like, oh, you just started smoking weed? He thought yeah. I had been smoking weed a lot, like, a long time before that. Oh, so they didn't, not only were they not giving you anti-drug shit, they didn't give a fuck. They no, were, they were really. sort of like, hey, whatever They're, makes you happy, go crazy. Yeah, like, my mom's a film critic, you know, she's from Japan, so she very, like, weed is not a really the thing there at all. Right. So she wasn't ever, she was definitely like, she definitely said like, don't, you know, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Right. But my dad is an artist, so he's trippy. And <laughs> the I think the b biggest benefit I had was my dad's honesty growing up. So mm -hmm. if I asked him about it, he would just tell me straight up. Like, he didn't fucking sugarcoat anything. Oh, no that's matter how nice. old I was. Yeah. Like, I remember the first time I saw, like, an unhoused person. I said, like, what, why, why do these people not have anywhere to live? He said, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> and I was fucking five. And I'll and be I, honest, your dad was correct. He could have been said that about most things, and he would yeah, have been correct. Right, 100%. Ronald Reagan truly is the the source of a lot of problems in this country. Right, exactly. So I think it's, but you know, like that was his whole style. So when it came to like drugs and things, he would just be like, "Oh yeah, like this, yeah, weed just you know makes everything you know it'll just be laughing, you know, have a good time." Yeah. So, but it wasn't until I started smoking where I you know, would talk about it. And that was much later. But yeah, Half-Baked made me, it just resonated. I was like, it's it's video games. I loved it. It was just going to make everything better. And like the older, you know, cousins, uh, relatives in my life who were smoking and I looked up to just made it very easy for that, yeah. that, that to happen. Well, let me, there's a couple things that I want to ask because I think that this is super interesting. So you get into drugs or at least smoking weed, whatever, is there a point where you find yourself starting to question that or are you just 100 percent and you never go back to your former dare self? Oh, yeah. I never gave a fuck after that. It was because, you know, I was just like it was all performative. You know, that was me just mm -hmm. adapting to a situation where the the dominating opinion was drugs are bad. Right. Um, within that construct, I was just, you know, trying to flourish within that because everything I, everything just felt like adapting to some situation so once i realized that wasn't who i was or like i didn't need that or like the i guess the larger community i was trying to be a part of was not that yeah it was easy to just be like oh yeah i'm that's i'm leaving that shit behind right right so with that then is there a point in which especially as like a a black person in this country where mm. where we becomes in any way like a danger in your life where like you get in trouble for the shit where, mm -hmm. you know, it gets criminalized in your little local community. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, did that dissuade me? You're saying, or did it actually, did you have any like actual like negative experiences? In yeah. Relation to weed? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Luckily I would say this, my ratios were right when I inter yeah. intersected with the cops, meaning yeah. there were enough <laughs> white people around me. <laughs> that it prevented me from actually facing 
the fucked up legal system. So I got I'm, you. I'm privileged in that sense. You had a few uh, linemen, uh, white yeah, 100%. linemen. Yeah, 100. Yeah, I had like a fullback just blow. Uh, Mike Allstott <laughs> just coming through, blowing it up for me, and I'm war done. Like bow, like thank you, sir. Uh, Miles, I need get to get out of here. here. Yeah, he's he's got a fucking quarter pound on him. Run, <laughs> hop over the fence at this house party, which I would do. Yeah, because I would start. You know, I was serving and shit in high school, and that was like my. I, you know, I really got into it. I really yeah. felt like, and part of that was probably me trying to, unfortunately, like some internalized white supremacy of like, well, like I, sh- I am the dude, with the drug. I'm the black kid. Mm-hmm. So I got that. These kids are fucking square. So I have weed and shit. Right. And I think that definitely fed into it on some level for sure. But it also got, brought, got me a lot of social cred too mm. for just being like, oh, he, like, he's got weed. He's got, you know, drugs or whatever. Yeah, I, um, I always think yeah. that that's a it's a weird pitfall for uh, for black kids in predominantly white spaces of mm-hmm. like trying to adopt in a weird way the stereotypes that don't even necessarily belong to us in that moment. No. It's just some shit we've seen that's associated with black people. Yeah. And you try right. to make it your own. And then with that comes a type of like negative or trouble or whatever the fuck that that follows it that you didn't even necessarily need in your life yeah, you would have been straight absolutely and i think also being biracial does something to that too because mm-hmm. you're i'm you know i'm japanese and i'm black and i'm an Amer- black american and you know there there's just a lot of I'm, I'm i'm looking in so many directions constantly and i think especially in your adolescence when you have absolute you know it's pure chaos from an identity standpoint yeah uh, it allows for, you know, just kind of being sort of malleable in that way. And then over time, I got over that shit. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, there were plenty of times there, you know, got hassled when I didn't have weed. And thank God I didn't. And it was just me and like, and a couple other, you know, like black kids that, thank God, nothing was happening then. But then other times I would just be finishing. I was just talking to one of my friends from high school who's a white guy. We were smoking weed in his trailblazer, listening to fucking uh, like Stankonia or some some shit. (laughs) And just it was like me and two other kids. We just faced a blunt and we right as we exhale, like exhaled and threw the fucking butt out the window. A cop car pulled up and just puts the lights on us. And we're like, fuck. And I had I had weed on. me. Yeah. Luckily, I was in the backseat again my my offensive line in the front seat in the form of two privileged ass white guys who were like the cops came up and they're like what's going on guys you guys smoking pot we're getting complaints here and they're like yeah we'll be honest yeah we were just smoking it and they're like where where's it at we're like we this is gonna sound wild but we literally just finished smoking jesus christ and they're like huh and he's just like he looked at the driver said and and my other homie in the front he said "Uh, your parents know that you guys are doing this and they're both like yeah like talking to this shit back to the cop and i was like oh my god they're like yeah they do it's that whole it's the Chappelle bit like brought to life right and i was like you just talk to them like they're your stepdad the fuck is that (laughs) and they're like yeah they know and then the cop was like because of that he was like we'll go up to soto because we don't go up there and gave them like jesus christ and i was just like (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) okay uh like and i'm the one holding the fucking weed so it was just fucking yeah 
it, there's been a lot of wild things uh, to yeah. say the least in terms of like you know identity and what that means or doesn't mean in, in those situations that's fucking nuts you know you you hear the the comedy of it all but it is like fucking crazy that they never for a second looked in that back seat and thought like oh we we might be putting miles in a little bit of danger maybe nah. we'll be chill and be like no nah, we're not we'll keep it moving officer yeah. any of that shit they were like yeah, yeah man we smoke weed it yeah. tastes good in our mouths and it makes yeah. us feel silly and i just fucking blew a whole, a whole blunt's worth of smoke up your mama's asshole man <laughs> what and you're like please man like and he's like take it up the street my mother likes it up there better yeah it's, it's like, like what? all right How? <laughs> he looked at me in my eye and somehow he still let it was the power of your whiteness that saved yeah. us well you know? they they do believe in one of the good ones and apparently that was enough yeah. for them to feel like you were you were in fact that yeah exactly the ratios were were uh you know white enough the ratios were in your favor that day. yeah so so you are now a a total advocate for weed and yeah. for for people drug and use drug yeah. use in general are you one of these people because i uh have talked to a few people some of whom are doctors who mm -hmm. believe that we should just legalize everything that like everything should just become legal and like whatever people do they do and and w what be it will you know what i mean right i mean i think obviously the criminalization of drugs has just led to this you know carceral system that mm -hmm. is absolutely unnecessary so i think not only to just uh, reduce that kind of, you know, criminality, also having a society where like, yeah, you can do that. But also you, it has to be like, a, you can't just have that and also not have support systems because I don't, I think right now it's very hard for people who are really on drugs or addicted yeah. to them to get the help they need truly and to be able to enter a society where they're once they feel able enough, they can do whatever they need to. So yeah, I mean, you look at a lot of the countries that have decriminalized their drugs and they don't necessarily they don't fall into these pitfalls. Like, I mean, look what happened. Portugal. Right. Absolute mess. <laughs> it isn't. It isn't. Yeah. Um, and yes, people are. And look, people are. Look, they're illegal and they still do drugs. So I don't think of this idea that, oh, now that it's legal, now everyone's going to start, you know, slamming heroin in the, on the fucking subway. Like, come on. No. Yeah, I I've never once. uh I've never once saw somebody like leaned over from some from some like uh, pills and thought like, man, I'm trying to try that shit. Like, yeah. truly, I think there's just something uh, innate in some of us that are like, fuck it. I want to try this. And I think I can yeah. get around it or it won't affect me the way that it affects other people. And some of us are just little scaredy cats and aren't going to ever take it that far. And I think I fall closer to the latter than the former. You know yeah, I mean? I'm definitely an explorer. Like, yeah. I, you know, I went through a phase where I was like trying to get as fucked up as possible <laughs> to, to know like what the fucking limits were, because it just, you know, at a certain point, like I started looking at the musicians. I was like, oh, they're all getting fucked up. Mm -hmm. And so, again, it's like this weird I'm reflecting some kind of concept of a celebrity yeah. like, to my own life and shit. But also, I think, you know, I was also like again chaos mentally emotionally sure so it was going to be easy to be like oh let's get fucking you know just off our faces and watch the corn unplugged dvd like, <laughs> yeah see my fuck. favorite rapper growing up was andre 3000 and that motherfucker uh -huh. was vegan by the time i was like eight so i was like right. yeah as, as long as i can be like this weirdo who doesn't drink or smoke or do any of that i'll i'll be cool for me method man red man dmx 
mm. were some of my favorite rappers. Yeah. And when that movie Backstage came out, that documentary about the Hard Knock Life Tour. Dog. Um, one of the wildest, truly one of the wildest things I ever saw <laughs> in my youth. <laughs> yeah. I was like, we're smoking all the goddamn time now. But also, like, <laughs> just dudes getting their dick sucked and then doing, like, full interviews afterwards. Yeah. It was just like, Let's go in this bathroom stall. And you're like, what the fuck is this <laughs> shit? So, yeah, I think there was a lot of things like that, too, that, again, the people who I idolized, blunt smoking was the norm. Yeah. So that also became the norm for me. You know, like, people love, you know, these kids now, they love fucking Yeezy. Uh, so they'll just dabble in, you know, right wing politics and, and big sweatshirts. But for me, I was like golden era hip hop where it's all like mob deep and, you know, raucous records type New Yorkers where it's all smoking blunts and shit. Yeah, this is it. This is it. Right. And California, I, too, is just mad weed. But yeah, I I, I feel like I would be uh, doing us a disservice if I don't uh, circle this back to the, the larger premise of this episode and really our, our podcast as a whole and talk a little bit about race. So I'm curious yeah. to know where you think some of the the fear around drugs and drug culture comes from in relation to black culture and black the black community. Like, I think the the anti-drug campaign for a while was obviously built by white people, but certainly championed in some ways by older black people. And I'd love to, to hear your thoughts on some of that. I mean, I think, you know, personally growing up and just anecdotally from my relatives, like my dad, grandfather, it was always just about inter just the inter intersecting with police mm -hmm. that had to be avoided at all costs yeah at all costs do not don't want to be just you just don't want to have to fucking encounter the police right so that did create a very healthy fear in me when i was you know had drugs on me and was trying to be live a little outrageous and shit like that i'll just say um culturally within my family there was an openness with drugs yeah or you know because honestly drugs are unfortunately another form of upward mobility uh for some people oh so say more you know what i mean <laughs> when you're in a, a community that is sort of resource strapped that unfortunately oh, sure your yeah. financial recourse is having to sell drugs yeah, yeah and things yeah. like that and i think just uh culturally having my like understanding what black people were up against it was sort of like i mean you know that's People, people are do that shit to survive. It's yeah. fucked up, but it was more like, I mean, it's, life is fucked up. Yeah. I mean, you, I think what you're saying is really interesting, especially just the idea that that it's not often when I talk to black people about it, it's not often us having like this active fear of the drug themselves, but yeah. more the punitive correlations mm -hmm. that come with those drugs. So right. I'm not afraid of fucking Coke. I'm afraid of getting caught with Coke right. and that being the thing that ruins my life. Mm -hmm. And that's a very different, I think, relationship than, uh, you know, our white counterparts often have in, 100%. in relation to those drugs. Because I think the privilege there is they're the customer, they're, they're the end user to enhance their lifestyle, mm -hmm. where rather being, again, a like your only financial recourse as a black person or any person of color in this country, you know, like, uh, 
That's that's what it is. Not I'm not doing this because I want to, but for me to make the kind of money that seems like it's on par with someone who's college educated, mm-hmm. this is this is a route to that. And I think acknowledging that or being able to have the empathy around that is the difference between being like, oh my God, could someone sell? Oh, it's so disgusting. And being like, y'all don't really get what it actually means to sell drugs for a living. Yeah. And I, I do think that that's part of what's always been misunderstood in the way that hip hop, at least in its, its former shape, used to sort of do with, with drugs and drug sales and all that shit. Right. Jay-Z wasn't being like, nigga, I love selling drugs. It's my favorite thing in the world. He's saying yeah. like, yo, this is what I did to now get to a lifestyle that I yeah. love and that I, I don't want to lose. And right. while, you know, obviously there are a bunch of moral conundrums cooked into Absolutely. The choices that happen there. It's not a dude being like, I can't wait to destroy my community. <laughs> it's no. it's a different energy than that. Right. It's like this is the set of resources that I have to work with. Other people, it's generations of going to Ivy League schools. Yes. And you can fast track your way to your six figure, seven figure income like that. Right. If if you're actually looking at what it means to live in this, you know, like a, a place of oppression, you're not part of the hegemonic class, then it's a it's a much different route that way. Yeah. And <laughs> and in a lot of ways, it's no different than the than what we see with like the justification that all these billionaires and these super millionaires make with their own like fucked up corporations, right? They're not right. going like, I love kicking people out of their housing, tricking them <laughs> out of the, the comfort of their homes. They're just like, hey, man, I wanted a new apartment building and I bought it. If some people that's got kicked the fuck out, that that's on them. They're like, also, you're kind of looking too close to me. That's just a building. I'm not <laughs> looking at the motherfuckers inside there. That's a building and that's a check. And you're like... <laughs> Why are you looking so close? By the oh, way, some... there were people in there? I wasn't uh-uh. even over there. <laughs> no, no, no. You buy a property for the passive income. I don't <laughs> the fuck with the, a tenant. I'm, that's why you have a, a management company. Right. Come on now. <laughs> I didn't kick anyone out. I hired a person to kick someone exactly. out. That's a different energy. You, if you want to be broke, keep zooming in. <laughs> keep zooming in. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with more My Mama Told Me and more Miles Gray. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Jean Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. 
You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. And we are back. Oh, shit. <laughs> this what I feel like. Laughing to the bank like. Yep, there it is. We're back. It's our longest <laughs> drop yet. We're still here with Miles Gray. We're still talking about the dangers and the joys of enjoying drugs and uh, yeah. the, the possible pitfalls that, that the evil white man has cooked into that experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'd love to kick into some of this research with you. Mm-hmm. We have a fair amount of research that I'd love to to talk about with you. And And before we get into it, I want to preface it a little bit that Obviously, there are plenty of podcasts out in the world, and this is more for the listeners than you, Miles, but there are plenty of podcasts out there for you, dear listener, that can walk you through all the careful specifics about the U.S. government and how they bought tons and tons of cocaine uh, as a secret tool for helping to fund foreign wars. And then that led to a surplus of cocaine in, in America, which then led to the crack epidemic, which ultimately landed millions of black men and women in jails, right? Like, Podcasts do that shit already. I am not Henry Louis Gates. I don't give a fuck that much to give you the history lesson. Instead, what I think would be more exciting is for us to dig into some of the propaganda related Mm -hmm. to drugs and drug paraphernalia that sort of shaped the way that we understand the world. Sure. Hell yeah. I'm ready. So one of the things that I thought was particularly interesting is that I and I did not know this was that weed. Up until 1937 was totally legal in the United States. I had no idea. Yeah. Okay. Was it like uh, through prescription or something first was like the first restriction they had and then it became fully prohibited. Okay. So not only was it, was it, yes, you're absolutely correct. It was through prescription, but it wasn't just that like, oh, they prescribed you some weed. uh, Cannabis, as it was formerly mainly known as cannabis was in almost every fucking drug. That like it was just an ingredient that they included the same way fucking saturated fat is just a a guarantee in everything. You were going to have a little weed in there. 
Yeah, it was high fructose corn syrup, <laughs> but it was it was cannabis at the time. Or in and this it, case, maybe MSG because like it gives mm, a little flavor, you know, yeah. like rather, you know, like like bro, it's not going to hit unless you got weed in there. Yeah, you got to have a little, little bit of yeah, weed, a little in MSG, there. baby. Yeah, so it's it's in every drug you can buy over the counter, under the counter. All the drugs have weed in it until the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. And part of the reason that they say that this Marijuana Tax Act happened is not because they realized that weed was dangerous, but because there were other competing drugs that sort of uh, offered the same experience of like of healing that mm-hmm. cannabis could offer. And those companies pushed with the government to basically get weed out of competition. They didn't want weed like cannabis to be the the thing. So they pushed themselves forward and paid off government officials to make marijuana now a taxable offense. Hmm. Okay. This is kind of like, like the hemp conspiracy, essentially. Tell like me this more. This is more to deal with. Well, there's this, and this is something actually I just fucking had to blow my own mind because Jack Herrera wrote that book, like the emperor has no clothes or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. It was sort of like sort of a seminal weed text talking about the hemp conspiracy was essentially saying that the prohibition of cannabis was because of DuPont and other companies trying to create nylon or synthetic fabrics. And they had just figured out how to separate hemp and the, the, the fibers and all that shit. But actually, it turns out that wasn't true. Oh. I thought I thought that shit was true for the longest time because the sort of the the sort of three points that he lays out are the main ones is sort of that like uh, Andrew Mellon who was the, I think the Secretary of the Treasury directed somebody like because he had a stake in a specific company that was gonna from Dupont or whatever that's why he wanted this to happen which wasn't really true a lot of historians can't say that he had that sort of financial connection right so that was like dubious. And just like the other things were just sort of like a lot of historians who focused on like how these people invested their money, like the money doesn't quite add up the way they said it does. Like because they also said Hearst had a big interest as well because they owned timber, but Hearst was actually in a lot of debt at the time. So it so they there wasn't wouldn't a have financial, had the, the capital to be able to. Yeah, to make this although, happen. of course, he of course, he helped with the propaganda aspect, but the, that financial co- connection wasn't there. Really what it boils down to, it's like all this other shit. It was just racism. There you go. And you know I'm, what I mean? I'm so glad you said that. But this white guy writes the book and it's like, man, you know, because DuPont is fucking wants the hemp. But nah, man, it's just so fucking the, racism. The <laughs> more important element of this marijuana tax act that happens, and I think you're, you're putting it perfectly, is that mar- marijuana was not what they originally called it. They called it cannabis. But then after the Mexican Revolution, there's this massive influx of Mexican people coming into the country, mainly in like Texas, Louisiana, all these southern states. And so they want to start controlling that population. And they introduce a bunch of propaganda suggesting that cannabis causes people of color to go crazy, specifically Mexicans, to be violent and dangerous. And so part of it is them just trying to control this population. So now they start telling people the thing that they've been enjoying in every drug that they've had up to this point is marijuana and marijuana fucking makes you go nuts. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, all the all kinds of ridiculous stories. Yes. Losing their minds, killing their family with a hatchet Um, because, (laughs) yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure the first drug arrests in California were of Mexicans in L.A. 
in 19, like 14 or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So it's, it's all, it's all based on oppressing people of color with whatever, you know, sensational thing they can pair with the news. Uh, and at that time it would be that, or, you know, protecting the virtue of white womanhood. Yes. You got to keep those white pussies safe because yeah. <laughs> these Mexicans, <laughs> they could do horrible things to these yeah. white pussies if you don't uh, control them and beat the you shit out of them. You don't want that. You don't want that. You don't want that. Folks at home, you don't want that. Uh -uh. This apparently, this is super interesting for me, is the exact same playbook that they used with opium and Chinese people. That when there was a massive influx of Chinese people in this country, they outlawed opium under the same premise that opium makes you go crazy and it makes you do all this violent, dangerous shit. And it was just a way of cracking down on a bunch of Chinese people and putting them in prisons or kicking them out of the country. Yeah. And because the first drug laws were against opium uh, exactly. to target Chinese people. And like they, you know, the whole thing was sort of known that it was done for that reason, not really because out of a public benefit, but as a way just to fucking, you know, put the brakes on uh, this Im immigrant community. Exactly. And so this all connects. And I, this is the, the most popular work re relating to anti-drug campaigns to reefer madness. I'm sure you've heard <laughs> of reefer madness. It's yeah. It's a I watched it uh, or at least as much of it as I could stomach. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. Truly a horrible film. That's uh, not because of what it's saying. I don't give a fuck one way or the other. It's just poorly <laughs> made and not enjoyable to watch in any right. way. But Reefer Madness, for those of you that don't know, is an hour long film that shows how marijuana, they spelled it with an H at this point. They Ooh. weren't uh, respectful enough to uh, to Mexican people in Spanish to even spell it the way that they spell it. But mm -hmm. marijuana is public enemy number one. The opening credits read, and this is just part of them, but the opening credits read, its first effect is sudden, violent, uncontrollable laughter. Then comes dangerous hallucinations. Space expands. Time slows down. Almost stands still. Fixed ideas come next, conjuring up monstrous extravagances, followed by emotional disturbances, the loss of all power to resist physical emotions, leading often to acts of shocking violence, ending often in incurable insanity. Wow. Wow. Really, <laughs> really, really. I remember, I feel like my only, I feel, it's like one of those things I've only seen like in isolated maybe 40 seconds of where it's like this, like one white woman was like, ha, ha, ah. it's just like looking all goofy and shit. And I'm like, I just remember being seeing it and saying, nobody thinks this could be real. I mean, I'm sure back then it's different, but like, I remember thinking, you know, what the fuck? How, how we've never even seen anybody like this. That's the wild part. It's like, there truly is zero evidence of people becoming murderers from this thing that they're right. like, they truly want us to just believe people are manic and running the streets and chopping heads off. And that's not what it is. It's part of what they're saying is totally true. You do uh, become very silly and uh, yeah. sometimes not are able to control some of your like uh extravagances i guess if if that's the word you want to use but that shit ain't threatening that's just right that's just a fun time yeah they're see they're describing like a, a like a black turn up like, <laughs> right. can't control their extravagances it's like, what, the, what the fuck are you hating for what, right. what the fuck does that mean because your shit is so dry over there 
Yes. Look at that. Oh, my God. They're extravagances. Shut the fuck up. And that and, is yeah. at its core so much of what this is, be it be it uh, the Chinese people that they're they're trying to steal opium from the Mexican people that they're trying to steal marijuana from ultimately leading to the black people that they're trying to steal literally everything from. Like it, it truly is just y'all don't get what we're doing. And therefore you're you're criminalizing it because it's foreign or scary. Or looks more fun than you know how to have. Right. Exactly. And it's interesting. It falls into a pattern where like the first countries that had like weed prohibition are all uh, places where white countries uh, formerly ruled over black people. Uh, it's weird. It, it's huh. weird how that works out. Who knows? Huh. Weird. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's something there. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> hey, that's not this podcast. Yeah. We know Henry Louis Gates. That's a different yeah. podcast. Listen to that one. Yeah. <laughs> I will well, say, wild speculation come here. <laughs> I started looking into uh, the first sort of anti-drug campaigns, like television ad campaigns, because Reefer Madness was more of like this film that they would show in schools and shit. But apparently mm-hmm. the first anti-drug campaign was one of the most famous ones, the Just Say No campaign from Nancy Reagan. Again, we're talking about Ronald Reagan. Yep, Nancy Reagan is the lady he laid with. It's it's uh, it comes in the early 80s. If anybody's wondering, she also is a piece of shit. And they basically use this as a national campaign sponsored by the government as a way of monitoring the drugs flowing in and out of black communities. That's the whole deal. Mm. Isn't it her just saying like just it's her, right? Just yep, looking at the camera whole thing. and just saying. Yeah. yeah. Just saying like again, tired, tired. Yes. That you really thought that's what come on now. Uh, we, who was it that did? Um, was it Darren Aronofsky who did like anti meth commercials a few years ago? So I, if you're referring to the Montana Meth Project, yeah, 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 yeah. So that comes in the the uh in the early 2000s, uh, where basically meth apparently Montana was so over- overrun with meth that uh this dude interjects like uh five hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars into a campaign where they make these horrifying videos that are commercial ads basically right. of like people beating the shit out of their mothers and waking up in showers with like blood all over themselves and then at the end it's like hey don't do meth you'll end up like this and that was like the whole ad campaign yeah those were like what i'm saying is like those ones fucking hit. You know what I mean? <laughs> Nancy Reagan being like, just say no. is like, come on. Because yeah. I remember those. I remember being like, because that was like when you had to like download a QuickTime video to right. show somebody you had some to shit. It. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, yo, you got to see these. These are fucking wild. <laughs> the fucked up part, you were sitting there smoking while you're watching it. Like, yeah. Ooh, I'm this like, motherfucker's scary. I'm like, see, that's why I'm not going to do math, bro. See, this, this shit is for real. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things, and I'm glad you brought that up because Nancy's campaign and most of the the campaigns for like anti-drug shit throughout the 80s and 90s were hugely unsuccessful that like they start off with these like just say no campaigns telling people to basically uh, maintain total abstinence away from drugs, including that infamous this is your brain on drugs uh, commercial and uh, I, I even found like there's there's a, a drug commercial with McGruff, the crime dog, where he's singing uh, a song and playing the piano, telling people not to do drugs. 
Um, there's one where the Ninja Turtles call people dorks for not if you oh, deal uh, drugs. Um, I didn't and then, want. Th- I don't want that. No, it it hurt my feelings to yeah. see that the Ninja Turtles were acting like that. And then yeah. finally, Pee Wee Herman had an ad out against crack cocaine, uh, and apparently his dick was out the entire time. <laughs> They didn't show his lower half, but he was just beating off and being like, kids, don't do crack. (laughs) Makes you do wild shit, guys. (laughs) You're like, oh, fuck. Uh, But they they basically spend all this money to get kids not to do drugs. And then all the research shows that it's completely ineffective. And so then in the early 2000s, they start to change their their tune and they make it less about like just abstinence from drugs, but more about like trying to make people criminals from doing drugs. So they start getting mean about the shit, which is where the the Montana meth project sort of interjects itself. Right. Mm hmm. Wow. So I like how it's seeing that first starts off with a parent being like, come on, come on, guys. Yep. <laughs> Knock it off with the drugs, huh? Take it from me. Some fucking loser. You respect. <laughs> and then when they don't listen, you're like, oh, okay, so now we have to turn it up. All right. So I got to beat your okay. ass. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you want to see what prison look like? It's like, oh, sh- what the fuck? Let me see the inside of your butthole, little yeah, baby. Exactly. Like, I don't know. I'm yeah. still going to smoke weed, man. Okay. You want to goof around? Boof around. <laughs> what the fuck? What does that even mean? Why are you talking like that? You're my chemistry teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so they again find out that none of this shit works. It doesn't actually make people stop doing drugs and then finally in 2012 the national government admits that the shit doesn't work that all the research all the complaints all the people identifying all of this stuff is racist are correct and they stop doing national commercials for anti-drug campaigns they don't exist really anymore except there was a period during the trump administration where he created a campaign for four hundred thousand dollars that was an anti-opiate opioid campaign which naturally makes sense he was trying to save white people from themselves right exactly it's just funny because like the war on it's it's so misguided Mm -hmm. because they're spending all the money in this other just vaporware when really it's about supporting people yes uh, to prevent (laughs) drug use it's like when like nancy pelosi was wearing the kente cloth in the rotunda bitch i didn't need that yeah, it's like, why don't you go and actually pass some fucking laws? Yeah, because <laughs> that's your that's Nancy, that's Nancy Reagan saying, just say no. Yeah, get you know, off your, your fucking knee, Nancy. You're you're seventy something years old. I don't need this. You're not yeah. healing anybody with this. Exactly. The Do fuck some up. real shit. Do some real shit. Don't fucking pump fake with that nonsense. Just like no. this, and then you realize, oh, they're gonna say in fucking sixty years from now. You know, it really, things moved at a pace that was really ensured horrible outcomes. This, uh, this, you know, this committee has determined after looking at the data. Like, yeah, you. right. And that's what it's going to be. And it's going to be such an insult. But anyway, that's what this dumb shit is. You threw your money away on a fucking big bird telling me not to fucking smoke krills. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's exactly right. You hired, you spent all the money thinking that this was going to justify the war that you created, and it yeah. doesn't. 
It hasn't healed anything. And what they did find out, this Ohio State University, which I don't respect that place, but uh, one of the things that they oh, did, right. I, I'm right. a Michigan man. And hey, uh, you know, I went to UCLA, right? Uh, yeah, I, I'll never forgive you either. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, we got ours in then. <laughs> yeah, no, I was happy to see it. That said, <laughs> one of the things that I discovered in, in sort of like unpacking some of this shit, Ohio State University actually did a study where they discovered that the only thing that actually worked to keep kids from doing drugs was not somebody being like, just say no, don't do drugs, all this other shit, was just showing cool, regular ass kids not doing fucking drugs. So that's when you start inserting all these commercials where it's like a cool kid and he's skateboarding and then somebody's like, hey, you trying to hit this? And he's like, nah, dog. And then he does a fucking ollie and everybody's like, hell yeah, I want to be like that motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Just fucking did a grind on that handrail and then knocked the joint out the kid's mouth. Right, but he ain't even trying to teach a lesson. He's not being right. a fucking dweeb about it. Nobody wants, and that's what they don't understand, is nobody wants to be a cop. We're not fucking going to join your campaign, Nancy. We right, just exactly. don't. If we don't want to do it, we're not going to do it. And if we do, bitch, no, you getting on your knees and being just say no or whatever it is isn't going to stop me. Exactly. It's just that. But yeah, they're just all they had to do was normalize kids having like agency. Yes. And not succumbing to peer pressure, which is like, yeah, okay, you mean teaching people, nurturing, showing yes. them by example is what you mean. Like, again, what the fuck? Why did you have Big Bird in a knife fight in Harlem over like a fucking spider bag? What the fuck was that? Can I tell you my my absolute favorite of some of the uh, anti-drug commercials that I found? And when uh-huh. I say favorite, I, I mean that it's the most fucked up of all of the ones that I saw is uh-huh. this one where there is this black dude, right? And he's like, he's clearly like in a gang. It's a bunch of gang shit happening around him. It's like late 80s, early 90s <laughs> right. type shit. And there's like gang shit happening around him. And he looks at the camera and he goes, hey, yo, tell your parents to leave the room. And then he he starts walking, right? And he's looking at the camera the whole time. He's talking to you at home, Miles. Right. And he says, he says, tell your parents to leave the room. All right, they gone. Cool. You want to buy some drugs? You trying to get high? You trying to ruin your fucking life? And as he's walking, this is where it gets super fucked up. As he's walking, he slowly transforms into an actual snake. Like he physically transforms and his head becomes the head of a snake and his tongue starts getting long like a snake. And then at the end, he's like, I won't sell you poison. And it's just it's a just a nigga turning into a snake. And we're not supposed to feel like this is the type of racism in out. in the Oh, thank you so much again. And again, when people don't realize how they internalize white supremacy, it's seeing commercials (laughs) like that as a kid where you saw the Animorphs the hood drug dealer version <laughs> and then you wonder why black you're like i don't yeah I, oh, oh wow i do have knee-jerk reaction yeah yeah that's what that's what they're steady feeding people yeah us, nigga everyone. snake was a possibility in your head now yeah. because of this commercial right and you're trying to be like oh but i really like michael jordan and whitney houston <laughs> oh, also this snake god i don't know what to do my feelings are mixed oh. yeah <laughs> which one is it I'll leave you. Well, we'll leave the, to the commercial with this. I think it's it's an important sort of caveat that I, I should have thrown in earlier, but also is is just a, a great framing reference for anybody who sort of is in doubt about the positions of like some of our leaders and their decision making. Right. 
that mm-hmm. like Ronald Reagan, besides being potentially the the literal the creator of the crack epidemic, mm-hmm. is also a just outright racist. And mm-hmm. for years, white America and sort of like Republicans and moderates and all these people have treated him like he wasn't that. And it's not, it's more complicated than that, whatever, whatever, whatever. But recently, in, in the last couple of years, they un, they basically unpacked uh, some tapes. They went into the vault and found some actual tapes of Reagan doing some racist shit, talking to Nixon. I don't know if you've ever heard this tape, but he's talking to Richard Nixon on the phone and they're having a conversation about uh, the African leader in the UN where he goes on a long rant describing them as monkeys and saying that they're not even comfortable yet wearing shoes and basically complaining about the African leaders (laughs) and their relationship with footwear and Richard Nixon is having a ball of a time he thinks it's hysterical god damn I mean makes sense that they were just yucking it up over that kind of shit Honestly, it was pretty funny shit. When I listened back to it, I was like, oh, this motherfucker got jokes, but also hurtful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And also to know that's but unfortunately, that's the that's the lens through which our leaders govern this country. Yes. So many of them. And even when people talk about like, oh, I can't believe, uh, you know, uh, like, how could Joe Biden be bad or whatever? Just think about the generation of people that you look at photos where it's a bunch of white teenagers screaming at a black student entering the yes. high school. They're in their 70s. Like. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. They're still part of the workforce. Yes. They are alive right now. Yeah. And a lot of these motherfuckers are holding office and shit and are leading companies and are running municipalities. So don't tell me for like people forget that so easily, you know, just like you could uh, uh, anyway. Just but to, I think I, I, I think you're saying exactly what I what they needed to hear at its right. core. That's the danger of all of these campaigns. It's mm-hmm. not that Nancy Reagan saying just say no to drugs on its surface is right. an evil idea. Telling children that like they should be more responsible around these sometimes dangerous uh, substances is okay, But when you underlay that with a bunch Mm of biases towards communities, towards colors, towards even economic positions in this Mm -hmm. country, you are almost certainly going to introduce a type of hate and prejudice and violence that can't be uncooked. Right. Exactly. And will take who knows how long to undo. Yes. Because people are still, we still to this day can see how how much of a, a visual bias even exists for people just to merely appear, you know, a black body in a, in space. We're all nigga snakes. And it's thanks to Nancy <laughs> Reagan as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Eat shit, Nancy. <laughs> We're going to take a break. We'll be back with more Miles Gray and more My Mama Told Me. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. 
you'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. And we are back. People who were in slavery wish that they had curbside service at Applebee's. Yeah, we're back here with more. Oh. <laughs> more Miles no. Gray. More what? my mama told me. We're still talking about these anti-drug campaigns and uh, the dangers and violence that it creates in black communities. Did you enjoy the Don Lemon drought? Yes, I did. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's true. You can't argue with that. Objectively. With a slave saying no to Applebee's curbside curbside service? service? Are you fucking kidding me? Yes. Okay. Fine. Okay. Yeah, you got me, Don. <laughs> See, you're so good. That's why they love yeah, you. Those motherfuckers is a journalist. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Capital J. <laughs> All right, let's play a game. I have a a very fun game. This is a a first time game for us. It's a brand new game that I I'm calling. Uh, that nigga's a cop. That nigga's a cop. It's a fun game where I am going to actually read to you 
uh, famous quotes, legendary quotes from Harry J. Anslinger, who was the director of the FBN, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, from 1930 until 1962. Famed racist. Harry J. Anslinger, I'm going to read you some of my favorite quotes that he had out in the world. And I just would love for you to unpack some of your feelings on said quotes. Just whatever comes to mind after we talk them through. Sound good? Yep. Yep. Sounds great. Hell Hell yeah. (laughs) Here's here's uh, an easy one to to start off with. Uh, He says, Reefer makes darkies think they're as good as white men. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That's the best shit I ever heard. I love it. Facts. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it opens you up and you realize you can you can uh, unshackle yourself from uh, limited thinking mm-hmm. as good. Oh, my God. That is so. <laughs> Do you know when like what year that quote was, like occurred? It's it's somewhere between 1930 and 1962. Okay. I don't know specifically. I can just imagine how like at that time, that's just such a hot selling point. For your for your like anti marijuana laws too, you know why? Because they start they, when they smoke it, they think they're as good as white people. Well, you know what's funny that's... about old Harry J. Anslinger is that he actually was so racist that even other racists were like, "Bro, chill." Like, oh really? Like, take come on, man. Wow. Like, you gotta like, not that that they didn't agree with his points, but he would take right, it out in like, public hey, in a way hey, that is yeah. like, "Yo, yo, like, yo, yo you're making it hot right um, now." Yeah. Stop. We, we we like this Applebee's, man. Yeah. <laughs> Slaves wish that they could have curbside service at Applebee's. Hey, all right. Well, Don, it's okay when you say it. <laughs> <laughs> Which, weirdly enough, was the second Harry J. Anslinger quote. <laughs> here's, a, here's another fun one. There are 100,000 total marijuana smokers in the U.S., and most are Negroes, Hispanics, Filipinos, and entertainers. Their satanic music, jazz, and swing result from marijuana usage. This marijuana causes white women to seek sexual relations with Negroes, entertainers, and any others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. That's 100% nailed on truth, because what you don't realize is uh, for your simple mind that all of this shit is just called charisma. Uh. Okay? <laughs> and that is why the women are coming after us. OK. And the talent that are is unleashed through expression. Sure. It's not because we're repressed and tying up the fucking wearing the tightest fucking underwear to prevent erections and shit. <laughs> we're out here just living, baby. <laughs> oh, just the, you, I mean, it's just funny to see how it's really, truly this idea of they they're completely in awe of the joy that maybe these like communities of color they're looking at, like live with. It's like they have they dance and stuff. Yeah. Mexicans play instruments. Yeah. Have a good time. And don't get me started. On, oh, what's going on in Harlem? And what the <laughs> hell is going on? You know, it's they it's a it's a weird like this weird this it's so rife with like white insecurity you know what i mean it is and the, the other thing that has always bothered me about a lot of this is is how much they think that we cherish white women also and i right. cannot express enough how indifferent i am 
to like the special uh, mixture of whatever they think you think white women are. It ain't that deep. Right. I like pussy. It ain't got nothing to do with her <laughs> being white. If I'm chasing a thing, it, it truly is just a primal urge that, yes, maybe I need to unpack as a human being. But yeah. it ain't got nothing to do with her being special in that way right. because she's white. I bet I, it started off with like some white dude who did not think much of his wife's looks. But to compliment her, he was like, and you see, they'll go after women like my Helen. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is obviously... People trying to get at Helen. We all know that. I like um, that. And, and she's like, oh, thank you. Thank <laughs> right. you, Randall. Thank you. And then it's all now it's all fucked that up. That just adds four years to their marriage is this weird backhanded compliment where he's like, I, I, I don't like her, but black yeah. women apparently would fuck her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> black men will, I guess, push into her. And that's, yeah, we got to stop that. And, she, and the, who else could love her but me? me and a a stupid black monkey who else could love this woman besides the two of us who else (laughs) all right here's one that isn't uh inherently racist he said if if the hideous monster frankenstein came face to face with marijuana he would drop dead of fright (laughs) shut the fuck you're tired ass frankenstein but what the fuck? Frankenstein? That's the best you can come up with? You fucking lazy motherfucker? Yeah. Really? But if Frankenstein met weed, <laughs> he'd run away. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, fool. What the fuck is that? If Shit Frankenstein weed met weed, he would say, oh, I wish you never brought me to life. Please, kill Please. me now. <laughs> and also... Like, let, what if I smoked it though? Maybe I'd be a super monster or some shit. Like, if Frankenstein the, met weed, he would say, "Well, technically, I'm Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein right. was a doctor. Anyway, <laughs> please keep that away from me. It's dangerous. <laughs> please." And we don't. We all know how horrific Frankenstein is, right, ladies? <laughs> like the fuck you talking about? Uh, but again, yeah, I wonder. You just see the how like lame the attacks on drugs have been over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it started off with people like, oh, man, weed's so bad, Frankenstein would be fucking shook. Yeah. And now we're at, like, you know, fucking whatever it is, uh, smashing a egg over the stove and being like, these black men will turn into crack pipes that will be inserted in your children. Yes. Oh, God, what the fuck? And I do think at its core, the, even the ability for for him to humanize Frankenstein more than the the humans that he right. is criminalizing is a different type of propaganda and violence and all the, mm-hmm. the sort of like mixed messaging that, to your point, creates an environment where a bunch of young kids grow up and still have fear of people who are the same as them. Yeah. And you have to think like all this is because of the end of slavery yeah was their plan b was okay well let's just make life as hard as possible for these people mm-hmm. at every level whether that's housing policies whether that's the amount of resources that are allocated to them whether that's through education or insidious messaging through the media this will be this is how we'll you know level the playing field i guess absolutely I'm going to read you one more, and I'm not okay. sure that that uh, this one's going to do anything that we haven't covered, but it's just a fun <laughs> one. 
that uh that maybe we could just enjoy on the way out of this bad boy. This last one says, no one knows when he places a marijuana cigarette to his lips, whether he will become a joyous reveler in musical heaven, a mad, uh, incessant, calm philosopher or a murderer. No one knows. No one knows. Or all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of what's cool. You know what I mean? It's all, but see, that's what's that's what's beautiful about it. It's all about what you bring to it, baby. You know what I mean? I like that. And I do think yeah. that's a good thing to be sending our listeners off with. It is all about what you bring to it. Yeah, absolutely. If you have some, you know, um, unchecked baggage, so to speak. Yep. Uh, ch- maybe check that uh, at the counter before boarding your flight. Check them bags. Um, yeah, exactly. You don't want to be you don't want to be weighed down with all them bags, as Erica Badu said. Oh, bag lady. What you doing mm-hmm. with all them bags? Cut yeah. it out. You got to exactly. get rid of those bags and then you Please. can enjoy all the heroin and cocaine <laughs> and methamphetamine exactly. that you feel comfortable enjoying. And if you do it, it's just because you fuck with it. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing. <laughs> and if it kills that, you, that's it. That's on you, you stupid bitch. You yeah. should have. <laughs> no empathy. No empathy here. No empathy here, folks. No empathy, but a lot of care. And that's, yep. I think, the best way to end this episode. Miles, we did it. <laughs> We did. Yeah. We did the thing. Could you tell the the kind folks at home where they can find you? What cool shit you have going on? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Miles of Gray, and also yeah, Daily Zeitgeist is the daily political, cultural, comedy, whatever show. Just talking whatever's being talked about. <laughs> um, Langston, you've been on what twice now? Yeah, like, and it's always yeah. a great time. You you get to talk about actual stuff that's happening in the world, but you also get to laugh about it and not just sort of pretend like it's funny, but be real serious about it. It's nah, nice. Nah. You gotta, yeah, you gotta be able to laugh at this shit. That's the only way you can be engaged with the news. Yeah, uh, these days, and also four twenty day fiance. If you like ninety day fiance and you like weed and you want to, you know, talk about white savior behavior. Uh, check out 420 Day Fiance because that's all we do over there. I love it. Please listen to, to both of Miles's podcasts. Follow him. And as always, you can follow me at Langston Kerman and you can send us drops or or notes or just uh, sweet little somethings, whatever it feels good to you. It can be evil little somethings. I don't get a, give a shit to uh, mymamapod at gmail.com. And uh, all right. Bye, bitch. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.
Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.